this is like it. yeah, this is I do way not better. Like I don't like this song anymore, and yep. I don't know why. I mean, that's why. Today, yep. right now, I was like, that's why. Last yep. year, we didn't have a bass guitar. Yep. I still this think song without a bass guitar is fine, but not good enough yet. Yeah. <laughs> I still think All right. Are there? Those are our. Those are our songs. Are we good? <laughs> right on my face. Right in the side of my uh, face. Uh, you would definitely catch him. Yeah. So. All right. I, I think we're good. I think we're good. Thanks, everybody. We're good. We're good. We're good. Yep. See you tomorrow. In the yep. backseat of the car, just sitting in the trunk. Eden, Eden, Eden. She ain't listen. She's not listening. She's in Mean Girl mode. All right, Theo, Theo, you're good to uh, re-kick it all the way back to the beginning. Look at your hat. I did not expect that. Uh, yeah, the hat was unexpected. I didn't see him come by. Um, go ahead and turn on, uh, kick this back to the beginning, like the slideshow, and then you can. Well, I was told that someone last week lost or left a earring here <laughs> and if you're looking for it we've got it but I also wanted to do a public service announcement um, I've got a bracelet another earring um, I tell you, this one looks like a wedding band yet no one has asked about it Um, and a few other things. So if you're missing, if you're missing anything, it sets in this cup usually if I find it on the floor. So you can come and get that. I want to thank, uh, Cody for writing my message today. Um, I'll explain that here in a little bit. We sing the song, <clears throat> or have sung the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. I wonder if we ask the question, <clears throat> ransom us from what? Uh, we have one of the things that we're going to build on to our house one of these days is a room in the back where you know what it is you, it's like a utility room you come in you've covered mud right the mud room you take your stuff off rather than on the porch and we're going to build that um i think to keep my wife's sanity um <clears throat> possibly our marriage uh there's numerous times either me or sam will show up on the porch, want to head inside, and Ashley will tell us 
You're not coming in here like that. You're not coming in here like that. So if you've experienced that, just know you're not the only one. Sometimes you're not fit to come in here like that. Sometimes you're a little too covered, a little too dirty, a little too filthy. And I think you need a place, a way to get clean. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've granted us one more day of worship, one more week of glorifying who Jesus is. We thank you that we get a chance to celebrate the birth of Christ and that we get a chance to realize the importance and significance of him in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most of you are familiar with the song, what does one receive on the second day of Christmas? Do you know? Two turtle doves. Two turtle doves. Two turtle doves have been associated with two people in love for many years. But that's not the significance of two turtle doves in Scripture. In fact, we see them first in Leviticus chapter 1. Now, this won't be on your screen. But if the offering to the Lord is of burnt offerings of birds, you are to offer a dove. And if you look at the King James Version, that is turtle dove or a young pigeon. In Leviticus chapter 12, we find doves. We find doves offered as a purification offering, a purification offering after you've had a baby. The mother and father is considered for a time ceremonially unclean. Ceremonially unclean. After a set time, she is to present a ram and a dove. Her family is. And if she can't afford a ram, she is to offer two turtle doves. Leviticus chapter 12. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves. Again, turtle doves in the King James. Or two young pigeons. One for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her. And she will be clean. You see, this was their job. This was the job of the turtle dove. And that's why I refer to them as filthy turtle doves. They were to take on, symbolically, the uncleanness. The uncleanness of the person. Purify and atone for them. Symbolically, but not really. Symbolically, but not really. Ceremonially unclean. Think about what that means. Not fit to participate in the king's functions. Not fit even to associate with the king's people. When we understand and realize those things, we understand how high God's righteous standard is for you and me. And how important Jesus' sacrifice is for us. We come to realize that Jesus' sacrifice is, in fact, everything to us in our lives. Why unclean? Hmm? Seems a bit harsh. Why unclean? Being unclean in the law uh, does not necessarily mean being sinful. The Old Testament law had basically two types of uncleanness, moral and ceremonial. Moral uncleanness was caused by immoral acts. And you can read through a lot of those immoral acts listed in Leviticus 20, and that's just one place. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of immoral acts. <clears throat> and these came with punishments ranging all the way up to death. 
but the impurity caused by child or children, having children. It was of a ceremonial kind and carried no punishment at all. Impurity in this context is intended to apply not sinfulness, but the tremendous importance of holiness in the woman, in the man, the importance of giving life, creating life with a union with her husband. It's also a reminder that the man and woman have now participated in this original curse of God in the, in the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> that it was going to be difficult, it was going to be hard, it was going to be a struggle. They did not cause the curse, nor did they necessarily participate in sin, but they participated in the curse. And now there's a time for purification after the fact, to renew one's ceremonial fitness before God. All right, I suppose I could buy that with a holy standard, but there is surely one person who's had a child, one person in Scripture who's had a child that does not need purification, that is not in any way ceremonially unclean. And that, I think we could probably all agree, is Mary herself, at least on the surface. After all, she was chosen by God to give birth to God's Son, the Holy and Anointed One of Israel. Plus, there was no physical union between Joseph and Mary prior to Jesus' birth. Surely she does not have to participate in ceremonial purity rituals. Surely she is not considered unclean. Luke chapter 2. Did he want to read? Right? Okay. Luke chapter 2. See, I don't think, I'm not agreeing with all this clean and unclean stuff, right? On the eighth day, so eight days old, Jesus is eight days old. When it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, that is Joshua, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves. Or two young pigeons. Yes, church, even Mary. Even Mary needed to offer. Joseph and Mary needed to offer these two turtle doves because of their ceremonial uncleanness. Here's the point. God does not waver on his unreachable holy standard. He doesn't waver for you. He doesn't waver for me. He didn't waver for Mary, the mother of Christ. That standard is going to be. God is not going to cease to be what he says he is. That holy and pure, beautiful standard, even with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So if Mary and Joseph are considered unclean, ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, unfit, to be involved in the, the, the king's work, to be involved in the king's court, unfit to be around the king's people. If Mary's considered ceremonially unclean, what about me? Right? What about you? I mean, if anybody's going to skip 
ceremonially unclean, it's going to be Mary. If you who are highly favored and chosen by God to participate in a miraculous conception, chosen to raise the very Son of God, are unclean, what about us? How unclean could we be? This sounds like a lot. And it also sounds as though God is, um, best way I can put it is God is keeping distance from us with all this clean and unclean business, with all the rites and rituals that we have to go through. And if you think that, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You see, every time God delivers these commands, every time God delivers these laws in the Old Testament, these sacrifices, whether they're sin sacrifices or whether they are uh, purity sacrifices or whatever they may be, God also adds this, I am holy, therefore you will be holy. I am holy, therefore you will be holy. I am special. I am set apart. I am perfect in every way. I am complete and total. There's nothing lacking in me. Therefore, you will be the same if you will be my people. Now, I don't know about you, but... I look at my life and I realize that I don't meet that standard. I don't meet that standard of perfection. I don't meet that standard of cleanness, certainly not in and of myself. I don't meet that standard of being allowed, being able to participate in the perfect king's service and be around the king's people, much less teach the king's people. God realizes that his holy standard is beyond our reach, but he will not change it. He will not lower it. Why does he do these things? Because he's trying to show us. He's trying to remind us not just of who we are. He's trying to remind us of who he is. Perfect in every way. This was a reminder of who he is, what he is like, and also what he wants for us. It's also a reminder throughout the Old Testament of what one day we will experience that He will achieve for us, and that is perfection. On this side of history, I think it's hard for us sometimes to realize the significance of the birth, life, and death of Jesus Christ. I think it's hard for us to see the depth of this, that after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and after Dad stole part of my message, there was a separation, a separation between man and God. You see, there was a separation between the perfect and the imperfect. By the way, when I say that, you and I are the imperfect, okay? Okay? There was a separation between the imperfect and the perfect. The two could communicate, but only if the perfect chose to do so. And this through prophets, this through priests, not to you, not to me, not to the rank and file, but to those who had been made ceremonially clean. If the perfect chose to speak, he could, but the two could not mix 
and the two could not become one because perfection cannot be joined with imperfection. You see, sometimes I think we take it for granted today after 2,000 years. There was a time, there was a day when you did not just walk into the king's throne room. We do that today. We get to do that today. To walk into the king's throne reverently, but with confidence, with joy, in our time of understanding, our time of reading, our time of prayer, our time of supplication, our time of fasting, whatever it may be, to enter into the king's throne room and into his service. But there was a time when you did not do that. And I think we take this for granted after 2,000 years. For whatever Christmas is in the hearts of many, and wrong in the hearts of many, but whatever Christmas is, this is what truly Christmas is all about, Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, you see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's Christmas, church. That's what you're celebrating. At just the right time. At the culmination of the ages, says the writer of Hebrews. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, this is Paul writing, very rarely is anybody going to die for a righteous person. You're... You're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody to do that. He goes on to say, look, once in a while, you may find somebody who will die for a good person, a truly good person. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still offering our doves, While we were still offering the sacrifices, while we were still failing to live up to any type of moral perfect standard at all, this is when Jesus chose to die for you and for me. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more justified, that is, be declared righteous. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Jesus For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of Jesus, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Uh, Last weekend, I think it was last weekend, Cody and I had the chance to uh, teach a little bit there at Marmon Valley during the hay rides and so forth. Uh, And we're standing, we're waiting on the first wagon to get there, and we're, we're kind of trading off different wagons. He said, well, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to go with the Christmas story. Um, you know, just throw that out there, since that's why we're here. I'm um, going to talk about Luke chapter 2 and a few other things, and, and just really kind of retell some of the things I was talking about in some sermons. I said, why? What about you? He says, well, I'm going to talk about Romans chapter 5. I said, what? I said, he said, yeah, this is, this is how I'm going to tell the Christmas story. And so I told him. I said, tell you what, man. Why don't you let me go first? <laughs> you watch how I do it. And then 
decide whether or not you want to stick with Romans chapter 5. He laughed. He says, okay. And so I told the Christmas story. was talking about the Christmas story. And I already had this, this subject of two turtle doves and, and Mary needing this purification. But I really didn't know how exactly I wanted to teach the significance of it. And then he started teaching Christmas through Romans chapter 5. And how he started pointing out that this is what he needed in his life. That what we need in our life. That just the right time was Christmas. That just the right time was this culmination of the ages. That at just the right time, God launched his rescue mission. That was there from the very beginning. That he was always going to have his rescuer. At just the right time. And I, I listened. I got goosebumps. I thought, wow, this is, this is it. This is what Christmas means. This is what Christmas is supposed to be about for you and for me. The significance of even Mary's need to offer something for purification. Because she can't do it on her own. Because she can't be perfect. Joseph can't be perfect on their own. At just the right time, Christ came into the world. While we were still offering doves as poor substitutes for our lives, and not even us, we would, we would take the doves and we would present them to the priest. The priest had been ceremonially cleaned, and he would present them before God himself in the sacrifice. How dare you and I even look upon the Holy of Holies? I felt this one time. I've shared this before. That when, when Sam was born, I, I remember going into the, the hospital room and I remember seeing him in his, you know, his little Tupperware dish there. And, and this is the first time that I've seen him and the first time that I was going to be able to hold him. And I remember it's almost like gazing upon the Holy of Holies. I have now seen, I'm witnessing something with zero moral corruption. And I remember this moment that I didn't want to touch him. That would be the start of the degradation of perfection. I did eventually... I mean, you have to, right? But my uncleanness, almost like it would, would wear off on someone who has, who has never, a living being who's never had any evil thought in their life. You talk about being humbled in that moment. You see, this is staring at the Holy of Holies for you and me. How dare we touch it? How, how dare we even come close to it? Regardless of how many doves we want to offer, there's still sin. <clears throat> there's still uncleanness in our hearts and our minds and our lives. There's still problems and issues and confusions. There's still times that we make mistakes, and there's times we deliberately disobey the king of the universe. Who do we think we are? We're either that arrogant or that weak. Both. 
both. We wrestle, don't we, church? We wrestle with who we want to be and who we are. Who we want to be. Perfect. Clean. Holy. Righteous. Strong. Wise. Courageous. And then we got to face who we are. We're just a bunch of people offering filthy turtle doves. There's got to be an end to this. There's got to be something that makes life bigger than this, more important than this, because I guarantee you, no matter how many turtle doves you offer or Mary offers or Joseph offers, they're going to have to offer it again tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that, the day after that, they're never going to be truly inside changed. So at just the right time, Jesus came into the world. We still make sacrifices in the hopes that we might be treated as pure even though we're not. Knowing that tomorrow we're going to have to do the same thing. That's when Jesus entered the world. In the midst of silence, Jesus entered the world. 400 years, no prophets speaking. 400 years, the perfect did not speak to the imperfect. That's why it's called the silent age. That's why we sing the song, Silent Night. In the middle of silence, at just the right time, Jesus came into the world. I told you, these are the first last days when we celebrate Christmas. This, these were the first last days of offering doves, of offering pigeons for our cleanness. These are the first last days of being unclean. These are the first last days of unfit to participate in the king's service. See, these Christmas is the last days of a great chasm affixed. I love when Jesus is talking to a woman about worship. She's talking to a woman who is not allowed, in fact, to go to Jerusalem and worship. John chapter 4, our ancestors, this is her speaking. He sits down with her and begins to talk to her. She says to him, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must go to worship is in Jerusalem. Now Jesus says, woman... Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, talking about himself from this Jewish line. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. This cleanness. Jesus says the time's coming and has now come when you can worship as you, where you are, what you are because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because I got to tell you, this ceremonial uncleanness is perhaps the least of our worries. There's far greater uncleanness and that is one of morality. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and a group of people, he asks the question, are you so dull? <clears throat> he says, don't you see that nothing, <clears throat> nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but it goes into the stomach and then out of the body. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come whether it's sexual morality or 
theft, or murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, slander, arrogance, folly. He says, that's what makes you impure. All these evils come from the inside, and they defile a person. Just the beauty of Christmas, and this is what we miss sometimes. The beauty of Christmas is not that Jesus did away with uncleanness. It's it's not that he did away with impurity. It's not that he did away with separation. The beauty of Christmas is that Jesus came to fulfill those things. Put it this way, Jesus was born to be everything that you dread. Everything that is hopeless. He was born to become. He was born to become the curse. We are not the curse. We don't participate in a curse. We're not separated from God. Why? Because Jesus became the curse. Galatians chapter 3, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it's written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says a person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a pole. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew why he was born. He knew what Christmas was for. So that he might one day become that curse hanging on a pole for you and me. So we can dispense with the doves. We can dispense with the goats and the sheep and the blood of the sacrifices. And that's fine. But what do we get to do now? Because of Jesus, not because of you. Because of Jesus, you and me get to walk into the Holy of Holies and talk to our Father and Creator. You and me, we get to know that the death of the body, that's just a transition from one place to another. That's all that is. You and me get to experience hope. You and I get to experience this cleanness brought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what Hebrews talks about. i got a few minutes here. I'm going to read the whole thing. Not all of Hebrews. Just, Just listen to these words. Some of these will be on your screen. Some of them won't. But I want you to listen to because the writer of Hebrews sums this up so much better than I do. I should have started with that. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstands and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, that is the holy of holies, which had the golden altar and incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. 
The ark contained a gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we can't discuss these things in detail right now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people who committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations, applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that we now already have, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood or of goats and calves, but he entered the Holy of Holies once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and of bulls and of ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean. Sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. But how much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the new mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise eternal, eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the covenant. In the case of a will, think of it this way. It's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is only enforced when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood and sacrifices. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took blood of the calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop. He sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one he entered into heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin By the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once. And after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once. To take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin. 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I know that doesn't sound like Linus, but that's the purpose of Christmas. That's the meaning of Christmas. That Jesus becomes the sacrifice. The child, the baby grows. He lives. He faces trial after trial, test after test. Test after test that you and I fail, so we keep got to throw our doves out there. But he passes that test, every one of them. This perfection goes to the cross. And he allows you and me now to enter into the most holy place. To enter into that rest of God. Actually joined with the creation through the Holy Spirit itself. This is what we celebrate. And... And you can't separate. And, and, and I encourage you not to. We cannot separate the significance of Jesus being born and Jesus dying. We can't separate the significance of even Mary and Joseph being under the curse of law, unclean, until their child grows up to turn around and clean them. I wonder, I wonder if, if the first time that Jesus fell and skinned his knee and Mary bandaged it, kissed it, I wonder, I wonder if they knew, if that family knew that one day he would turn around and he would heal her entire soul. This is what Christmas is. The rescue mission for you, for me, so we can get rid of the filthy turtle doves. We don't need them. God doesn't care about the doves. He cares about you. He cares about you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you for your word that, that, that gives us insight, that reveals what it is to acknowledge who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. We thank you, Father, that this was just the right time, that you always knew that this is how this was going to work. Father, help us to use that to take advantage. Yes, yes, take advantage of it. To, to, to embrace this cleanness after you have come to ransom us, to set us free. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
Christmas, but bear in mind, we do get a chance to carol tonight. That's at 6 o'clock, and the students are having their Christmas parties. Take advantage of that if you want. Let's pray and thank God for our time once again. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we can come in here as one body, one heart, and this, this unity, this commonality in Jesus. We thank you, Father, that he loves every person in this room, that he died for every person in this room, that he was born. That he was born for every person in this room. I thank you, Father, that it's through the blood of Christ, it's through this, this, this life of Jesus that we are made clean in ways that, that we can't hope to do ourselves, that we get to exist in your perfection, in your perfect presence. Father, we don't, we don't deserve to come that close to perfection at all. I thank you for that love that's shown to, the, to everybody in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.